The SEC taught us that anything is possible, that just when you think you've seen it all, you won't believe what happens next, that comebacks are not the makings of miracles, but are born out of preparation, perspiration, and perseverance. As the official bank of the SEC, at Regions, we take these lessons to heart and strive to bring our best every single day. What has the SEC taught you? Join the conversation with hashtag SEC Lessons. Regions Bank, member FDIC. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, it's time for Gwinnett Business Radio. Gwinnett Business Radio is presented by Regents Bank. Brave the beginning. Member FDIC. Welcome to Gwinnett Business Radio. I'm Duffy Dixon, your host of a very special show today. We are live at Eastside Medical Center. As 2020 comes to a close, we've got to talk about what dominated 2020 COVID and more importantly, what it's been like, but also the vaccine that is now in the hands of so many, especially here at Eastside Medical Center. So now to welcome my guests, we are so excited to have you with us. These are three very busy people right now, but they're taking a little bit of time with us. First, Trent Lind, he is the Chief Executive Officer of Eastside Medical Center. He is joined by Tracy Smithson, she is the Chief Nursing Officer, and also Dr. Stephen Higgins, he is the Chief Medical Officer. So we basically have all the people in charge right here, and boy, I'm, I'm happy to see you all still standing. This has been a year like no other. Trent, because you you are the CEO. Let's start with you. Give me a sense of what this year has been like. Uh, where to start? You know, we uh, we kicked off this year uh, kind of mid-early February, recognizing there was this virus that was uh, across the world. And then uh, early March uh, began to have uh, some discussions around how this could impact the United States and certainly our local community. And, and uh, from that point on, uh, it has been literally a marathon uh, that we've experienced in our organization. We've seen over 800 plus patients uh, who have been inpatients with us, whether in our ICU or a medical surgical unit or progressive care unit, who have been positive inpatients with uh, Eastside Medical Center. We have <clears throat> we have been inundated in our ER. Uh, you look back to the number of uh, patients that have come in to either be tested and or uh, have tested positive in our ER, and it's in the thousands. Um, our urgent care network played a really large role uh, over the past uh, over this past nine to ten month period of time, uh, upwards of uh, almost thirty thousand uh, tests that have been given in our wow. urgent care network. Uh, and so, in all that, uh, you know, really, it comes down to uh, an environment where, obviously, inundated with volume, um, obviously, uh, the the impact that we see to our employees. Uh, the impact that we see not not only emotionally but you know certainly physically if those employees that convert uh, positive and then the impact it has on an organization when you have those employees that are that are unable to work and uh, you have the stresses of the volume still here and, and then you know to take it that much closer to home we've seen plenty of examples here where uh, whether it's one of our employees that's become an inpatient or they have a loved one or we have a loved one that's being impacted somewhere in the country. Uh, certainly it all hits home. Uh, but, you know, in all that, I've been so proud of our, our team. Uh, we've come together collectively uh, to really fight this battle. And I think we, we used that analogy early on that this is a war uh, that we have against this virus. And we're going to do all we can to protect our employees, to protect our community, uh, while at the same time uh, moving towards uh, a hopeful solution. And, and then you, you fast forward and here we are. 
you know, nine to 10, 10 months later and we have a vaccine. That's and, incredible. Yeah. And so we've, we've, uh, uh, vaccinated our first patients or uh, really employees and physicians, uh, that are on the front line, uh, starting last week, last Thursday, uh, had our, uh, hospital medicine, medical director, Kavita Kote, uh, who was our first, uh, to receive the vaccine. Uh, she took it like a champ. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and then now we, we already have, upwards of 250 uh, employees and physicians who have received um, uh, their, their first dose. It'll, it's a two-dose uh, vaccination process, and so they'll come back to us, those that have been vaccinated in the next 20 days, and, and get receive their second uh, dose uh, and be fully vaccinated at that point. Um, I know uh, my colleagues next to me, uh, Steve and Tracy, uh, we're proud soldiers and got up, uh, uh, you know, and, and early on in this process on Friday and we're vaccinated. So really exciting. Uh, we, you know, we, we see a light at the end of the tunnel in which, uh, we hadn't seen in a long time. That's right. It is. It, it, it's a great source of hope for a lot of people. Tracy, let me ask you, uh, you did get the vaccine for everyone out there. <laughs> Tell people, I mean, we've all had vaccines in the past, but what is it like? Take me through what it will be like when those of us who aren't frontline workers get the chance to take the vaccine. Well, first of all, I've taken so many vaccines in my career um, that it was no different than taking a flu vaccine. Um, I'm proud to say that I've taken the flu vaccine every year and, and knock on wood, I've never had the flu. Um, but it was um, obviously um, a little apprehension. I think I uh, talking to my colleagues and some of the frontline staff, we know it's the right thing to do to protect ourselves and the community. But you always have a little apprehension. Um, but we the the shot was no different than taking a flu wasn't painful um uh, three days ago i took we took it at 10 a.m on friday and i've had had no um, adverse reactions or symptoms at all so i've talked to several people um in the hospital that have also taken it and no symptoms so that's a good thing and we're excited to continue um our vaccine clinics um, we're working through next tuesday uh take off for christmas obviously um but um trying to get as many um healthcare and frontline workers physicians staff um anyone that comes in the hospital um, vaccinated so they're protected. And how have people been? You said some people were a little apprehensive because mm -hmm. it is brand new, right? Mm -hmm. And Correct. we got it out within a year. But these are medical professionals, right? Absolutely. They read, they know the science. Uh, but what's this been like? Has this, you know, Trent mentioned it's it's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. But mm -hmm. give me a sense of morale and and how people are feeling now that the vaccine is here and they are getting vaccinated. Absolutely. Um, if I could say one word, um, I've had a couple of interviews already, and I keep coming back to the one term of hope. Um, I think that actually the physicians and the nurses um, throughout the country are just exhausted. We're very exhausted and tired of dealing with this. It's um, it's it drains you physically, emotionally, and spiritually on what we've had to deal with. Um, I think it's forced a lot of people um, into early retirement and people to really second guess. Um, you know, if you're called to be in the healthcare profession, it's one thing. And those that aren't, I think, aren't in it anymore after a few months gotcha. of this. Separates, yeah, separates those who can do it and those who can't. Absolutely. Sadly. Absolutely. Um, and just, um, the you know, COVID wreaks havoc on um, our environment, on our patients and our staff. And so I think we're just so excited that there's a vaccine. And, and like you said, hope 
um, is in the future. And we're looking forward to this working um, and decreasing our positive rates within the hospital and their community. Um, and just hoping that we get through this next phase um, to get the herd immunity. You know, we've got to get through spring um, and continue to be warriors with our mask and social distancing and being smart about what we're doing. Uh, and that's what we would preach to all of our staff and the community um, because Christmas is this week. And so we've seen time and time again from 4th of July, Halloween, Thanksgiving. Right, the big holidays. Absolutely. And the people that really suffer are the patients and the staff because it increases our volume. And um, and, and we've had some nurses that have tested positive. So we have a short uh, shortage of healthcare providers out there. And so I'm hoping everyone stays smart over Christmas and New Year's and we don't see um, in three weeks the, the result of it not happening. Right. Let's just not hope for that. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Stephen Higgins, who is the chief medical officer, talk to me from the doctor's perspective. You know, as overwhelmed as nurses are, doctors are in the same boat. Tell me what it's been like for the doctors at Eastside Medical Center for this year. This is, you know, this is uncharted territory. That's absolutely correct. From the physician perspective, it's been a learning experience. Uh, obviously, this is a new organism that we've been dealing with, and it's really been impressive to see how our system has learned as we've gone through this, and we've developed therapeutics, things like you've heard about remdesivir and convalescent plasma and steroids, things that are really making a difference in our patients. And if you look at uh, earlier in the earlier waves of this pandemic versus now, what we're seeing is a little bit less of the folks at the critical care end of the spectrum, which to me is a reassurance that many of the therapeutics that we're able to use are making a difference. What's impressive to me too, really, is to think about the incredible partnership and collaboration that allowed us to have this new tool, this vaccine that's gonna allow us to uh, turn the tide on this pandemic. Uh, just seeing that collaboration and partnership from the federal level down to the state level. And private industry, the which was yep. yet two companies vying mm -hmm. for yeah. yeah, and uh, local public health departments and all the way down to the facilities, this partnership that allowed us to be only 10 or 11 months into this and now have a vaccine that we're actively administering to our team. And another thing, sort of what uh, Tracy uh, mentioned, was just that feeling of uh, fear and vulnerability that you have as a healthcare worker, uh, that now that we're able to protect ourselves with this vaccine after we've had our two-shot uh, two series just helps to alleviate some of that fear and apprehension that you have in dealing with this uh, virus. You know, a lot of, there's been a lot of uh, talk in all businesses about people who have pivoted, either pivoted what you do, right, as a service, as a, as a service or as a provider pivoting. So you talked about, you know, shortages at times uh, and, and, and healthcare workers and doctors being burned out and if someone tests positive, things like that. Tracy, what have you seen as far as people's, you said a lot of people who realize they're not, they, maybe they don't want to be in healthcare mm -hmm. got out, right? Mm -hmm. But have you seen people who have, who have sort of taken on new roles? I know that for a lot of people who are maybe new into nursing, I have a friend who is new into nursing mm -hmm. and she said, I am getting to do procedures and learning <laughs> and getting to look over procedures, things I may not have be, even been asked to learn or do early on. Yeah. And then, you know, met people coming out of college, you know, trying to get some people fast-tracked to help where they can. Mm -hmm. So give me a sense of, of, of how people have pitched in. You said you're really proud of your team. Mm -hmm. What have you seen? Oh, gosh. I have so many stories that I could probably talk to you for a couple of hours about the things that um, not only our staff have done, but as, as you mentioned, the new grads. So um, we normally have three cohorts, um, three to four a year of new grad residents, people coming right out of nursing 
nursing school. So we are now um, doing that every two weeks. Wow. Um, so people that have fast tracked um, through their um, organization or school are coming on about every two weeks. And it's a I, when I stand in front of them their first day, I say, well, you picked a good time to be a nurse, uh, the, right. you know, we right in the middle you. of a pandemic, because <laughs> um, that's correct. We can use them and we need them um, in in just a start. And so they are literally, you know, there's no more, you know, let's take 13 weeks um, to, you know, learn this and learn that. They are really getting at the um, front of the patients immediately. Um, they're making a difference immediately with our staffing, taking on um, different loads that they normally we would slow that process down because we don't want to burn uh, a new nurse out. And it is a little scary to be a, standing there as a new grad uh, for the first time. But um, we don't have that luxury of time right now just because we are uh, really facing um, shortages in the nursing profession. The community is what I would say because there there are positions and jobs out there. Um, but for a nurse that stays in the community um, and stays with the community hospital like they've done at Eastside, those are the true heroes to me. Um, I know that we need um, nurses throughout the country, but the nurses that have stayed here are staying at their same salary. They're taking care of their communities and their families. And I view them as the true heroes because they keep the hospital open um, and they allow us to take those patients in through the ER. So that is one thing that we have um, definitely seen a change in. Everyone's had to step up um, in leadership, um, in infection prevention and quality. Um, nurses at the bedside. Um, I have nurses right now in our immunization clinic. We've been going since seven this morning. We'll go till five. Um, I've got my IT guys who are RNs giving shots. Um, I have my diabetes educator giving shots. My educators, my behavioral health campus giving shots. Because you imagine we have, you know, about 975 injections that we need to get out to our staff and we have right. a time limit to do that. So everyone's stepping up and pitching in. This is, that's the beauty of Eastside. Um, it's definitely a family. Uh, we have a slogan in HSA, Care Like Family, and it's never been witnessed so many times as we have since last February. Um, I thought and knew we were a good organization, but now I know we are. And Dr. Higgins, for, for doctors, have doctors sort of pivoted or expanded what they do or find themselves helping out in areas that maybe, you know, a doctor is usually trained in everything and then specializes, right? So how, is, how have things been, the workload, how has it been for doctors? Well, the workload, that's an easy one. Heavy. Heavy, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> it's been very busy. Uh, you know, we, we've been through uh, three waves. This is okay. kind of our third, third uh, wave of the cycle. Everyone's just having to step up and, and, and pitch in. And what it's really uh, reinforced is the importance of collaboration between the primary care physicians, between the hospitalists who are managing the general medical patients, as well as our intensivists in our uh, ICU and uh, as well as specialists, pulmonologists, infectious disease. So it's just highlighted the uh, importance and value of that collaboration. And another big part of uh, what the physicians have been a part of is helping our community understand that it is safe to get your health care in this setting. Uh, you know, we saw early on in the pandemic, a lot of folks were afraid to go to a hospital, not really recognizing that the measures we had in place made the hospital one of the safest places you could be. So our, partner, our physicians really partnered with us on that, helping to educate their population, their patients, that it is safe to come. And those things that may be considered elective procedures, they're not truly, truly elective. I mean, many of those are things that people need because they've got chronic pain, or if it's not fixed now, it could have more consequences later. 
So helping uh, work with their patients so that they're confident and comfortable coming in to get their care has been a big uh, physician factor as well. Yeah, I, and give me a timeline here because I, I think you're right. Everyone put off doctor visits, right? Some people could do it with tele, telehealth, right? We've all heard about telehealth. Yes. It actually mm -hmm. was being used, Zoom calls and things. But for people who had, you're right, procedures that they thought, well, I'll wait. Once people got the word out that it, it is safe to go to the hospital, as you said, it's a very safe. Did you have sort of this wave of all these procedures that have been put on hold? I mean, I, that's got to create a whole nother set of issues. Yes, we did. We did see much of that care come back to the facility, and okay. we're really excited to see that uh, for the benefit of those patients getting their things taken care of that they needed to. I think there's still some opportunity for uh, the for the population to overcome some of those fears and realizing again that it's very safe to get your care here, and there's really more of a risk of delaying getting your care than there is uh, the potential exposure to to COVID. I have a really good story um, I could talk about. It was a comment that um, early on, I think it was June, where um, it, it's kind of a sad story as well, but um, a priest came in to the ICU to give last rides to one of our patients. It was a, a, a mother um, who was um, devoutly Catholic her whole life, and so got to meet with the family, but I took the priest in. Um, because there was no visitors at that time and still on COVID, there's no no visitors um, and and they didn't want to go in they were elderly as well so but they were very adamant about the priest going to visit with the mother to do the last rites and so uh, went through the whole process with him went in and um, got to witness it was very um, emotional and and beautiful experience at the same time but at the end when he came out um, I literally was helping him wipe down everything with the wipes that we have and he said and and he had researched it um, he knew about his shoes and he was going to take things off in his car to keep you know himself safe in the community but he said um, I feel so much more secure in this hospital than I do out on the street because you guys know what you're dealing with and I think it was a true testament to the healthcare professionals and I I feel generally that most patients say that and feel very confident about being in the hospital because we do know the status of most every patient that's in, in our hospital and, and we know how to treat it. And so we know how to keep it safe. And our, our, our positivity rates within our staff is very minimally low compared to how many patients that Steve referenced that we've and Trent referenced that we've um, taken care of throughout this pandemic. Steve, tell me too, we talked a little bit about the treatment and how it has evolved since we first started dealing with COVID. Are these things that can help in other, in the treatment of other things? I mean, you know, you, you talked to some of the drugs that we're now using and some of the protocols, things like that. COVID, the, the survival rate is, you know, what is the 99 mm -hmm. point whatever. So is there, is everything we're learning now about COVID and how we're treating it and dealing with it? Can all of that be used in other areas? There are, are going to be many opportunities where the things we've learned from this can spill over into other areas. Uh, there's a lot of different categories of viruses. Uh, who knows what's going to be the next one coming down the pike? But many of them act in similar ways. And I think some of the things we learned about uh, with uh, the coronavirus are going to be uh, transferable to those other things as they develop. You know, with this disease, we have that early early phase in it where it's just rapid multiplication of the viruses, and that and that's where things like uh, remdesivir can have a significant impact. Then we have a if they continue to worsen, then they go into a, what's called an inflammatory phase, and that's where things like dexamethasone can really make a difference. But other other areas that we've really learned a lot is about how to uh, expertly manage these patients when they're on ventilators. Uh, 
carefully monitoring and keeping parameters within uh, certain specifications and learning to uh, prone the patients. And these are not brand new concepts, but they're things that have really been refined as we've gone through this and are really making a difference in saving the lives of these patients. And many of them are going to be transferable to other things uh, that potentially could come in the future. That is maybe the we talked about light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe that is the silver lining. All of this, the the technologies and things that that in the treatments that that we're figuring out now. I'm sure you all have stories about your lowest moment, and I don't want to take it down into the basement for long. But what would surprise? It, what would people be surprised to learn, um, or what really is going to stick with you through this? And I think Tracy, you kind of you 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 as nurses are often the people who have to tell family members you can't come in i had to take my husband to the emergency room for something totally mm-hmm. unrelated but we got to the front door and they said you can't come with him and that's a tough thing yeah absolutely i would say that's probably i mean you're you kind of hit the nail on the head i mean nurses and physicians are caregivers and so we want to help people or we wouldn't be in this profession so it's so foreign for us to have a family member that's in an ICU on a ventilator or who expires, passes away by themselves uh, without their family. Um, But I do want to, you know, say the one thing that I guess and probably, I don't know if it's low or inspirational moment um, is just some of the good stories that have come out of it. And I know Steve has a favorite one, so I'm not going to um, share that one. I can't steal Steve's story. We'll we'll ask Steve his own story. (laughs) He has a very good story um, that happened early on. Um, There were so many, but just... um, Um, I think probably the one that sticks out, um, that's a tough one to think about. Oh, I'm sorry. It is just, it it was really the very first time um, that I had to take a family member. Um, Visitation was under my purview for the CNO had to oversee anybody uh, that was coming into the facility um, on a COVID positive patient. Um, and this was the first time that I experienced it. And so it was a, it was a grandson. I was someone that actually was a healthcare worker at Emory and his, um, his grandfather was here and he was, um, in his last few hours. And so the family elected this grandson to come up because they were older as well. And it was very early on. So they were scared. They didn't want to come because we do have, um, we do take limitations and, and open those up to where it's end of life situations where we allow the families, we, we want to make sure that every family can be with their loved one um so this grandson um came up and we had a great talk a really smart individual but um it was just me witnessing um his last conversations with his grandfather um and having the family on his phone for facetime and just just the nicknames that they called him they um just reminisced about some experiences in the past it was obviously because I'm still touched by it it was just really um heart-wrenching to see uh that <clears throat> that grandson do that and at, that was probably my lowest moment and then but then on the next breath you have to think well I mean we are here um for a reason I mean we got into healthcare for a reason I know I'm definitely called to be in it so it was a privilege to witness that and make sure make that possible and I know that many nurses and physicians have done the same thing um it's a it's a privilege to be with someone and hold someone's hand when they come into this world but it's also when they take their last breath in this world it's a privilege to be with them and honor um to make sure that they're not alone and their family knew they weren't alone and and I think that's the biggest um obstacle that anyone in healthcare has had to overcome in this pandemic right and what a comfort 
Yeah. You know, we have heard so many stories as, as, as upset as people were early on, they couldn't see their loved ones. I mean, you guys have really, and, and the fact that you can make those decisions on the local level and say, it's okay, let's bring someone in. So thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you, <laughs> but, okay. but I want people to know, yeah. you know, I it want just, people mm. to know that, you know, yeah. you, you guys are making decisions that these are things that like stories like this, you haven't heard since a war, right? Yeah. Mm. So people in the f- trenches, you know, who, who have to become, you know, the people who hold hands to the very end. But I don't want people to lose sight of that because Absolutely. obviously it's not over yet, no. but you, yeah, you, unfortunately you have a, a skill set now, I guess you would say. But um, okay, Steve, <laughs> what is your story? That's a good one. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm set up. So this was fairly early in the uh, in the course of the pandemic. We had a uh, a young lady uh, in her 30s who was pregnant in about the early part of her third trimester, who came in and she had COVID, and uh, we brought her into the hospital for a while. Uh, she wasn't doing very well, and it was looking like it was going to be important to uh, uh, take the baby early. And uh, so that, that's what happened. Uh, she underwent a cesarean section and had the baby. The baby had some challenges initially, but good news, the baby recovered and did well and went home with dad, who was uh, also positive. So he, he had to, for that initial period of time, uh, he couldn't see his wife or his child. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but after her surgery, she continued to struggle, and she was in our ICU on a ventilator, and it was a patient we round on every day on every one of our patients. Uh, you know, we had an incredible nursing team providing meticulous care for the patient. Uh, she was getting all of her uh, therapeutics that we knew at the time. And we were uh, managing her vent just as meticulously as we could. But she just wasn't getting better. Days turned into weeks. And weeks turned into greater than a month. Uh, but every day, uh, we were all asking about her by name because we uh, kind of became familiar with her and, uh, and her story. And, uh, but somewhere about uh, halfway into the second month, she started to turn the corner and her uh, ventilator settings improved. And eventually she was able to have the ventilator taken out and recovered and, and went home. Oh, wow. So persistence, diligence, you know, always providing that evidence-based uh, best clinical practice, uh, you know, with partners or physicians partnering with their nursing colleagues to provide uh, expert sensitive care for the patients. It, it, it pays off in the end. So what a, what a day that was uh, to see this uh, young lady be able to actually go home oh, and my goodness. Uh, be that reunited be, with her infant and her that family. That would be amazing. So. All right. Well, we're going to ask a final question of Trent since he is the CEO, and this is looking forward. It's a hard act that you're following, I know, but but this is a testament to your staff that these two individuals have these kind of stories. You know, they are in supervisory roles, but clearly they are also caregivers themselves. Absolutely. So we have the vaccine now, right? We feel like we have light at the end of the tunnel. From here on, what what happens? What do you hope happens? And how can the community help these individuals at Eastside Medical Center and other hospitals who are still in the trenches? I think it's it's still pretty straightforward in regards to you know what we need from the community, and that is there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, that said, sometimes our optimism breeds a lack of compliance, if you will, with uh, what those protocols are. And let's maintain our diligence. You know, you, you even hear from uh, the CDC that likely we'll be wearing masks through the through all of next year. So this won't this won't we won't be out of the woods for a long time. And so, you know, when when we think of um, you know, our experience here, uh, we, we want to continue to, you know, preach that uh, the hospital is a safe place to be. 
I say all the time, I'd rather be in the hospital than in the grocery store. Uh, and so really just making sure people know that we're here for them. Um, but certainly when it comes to our social responsibility, um, follow all those measures and make sure that uh, we're doing our part to, to continue to, to uh, flatten this curve. Um, the vaccinations, again, bring a, bring a great uh, light at the end of this tunnel, but the tunnel is still long. And so uh, that's what we ask of, uh, of our community. And as we close this, thank you again to all of you and for everyone listening, a safe 2021. Keep keep up your guard and uh, thank you so much to the to the doctors and the nurses and the, all of the staff at Eastside Medical Center. And um, we wish you good luck and let's focus on that light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you for joining us on Business Radio X. 